Our Father, we thank thee this night. Thou art the almighty, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing God. High over all. We thank thee that you have spoken unto us. You have given us your word. Thy word is true. Thy word is sure. Thy word is yea and amen. And we pray this night that you would open up your word before us. That you would make your word clear. That your word would find good ground within our hearts. We pray that we will grow in grace and the knowledge and love of thee and of our precious Saviour, thine only begotten Son, through our time together this night. We thank thee for his wonderful promise. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. So we pray this night that we might indeed know that wonderful presence with us of our blessed Saviour. And so we ask Thy blessing upon our meeting this night. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we could turn, please, to the book of Acts. And the first chapter, Acts chapter 1. And we'll read, please, from verse 18. And to the end of verse 22. Acts chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of verse 22. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akeldamah, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Uh, tonight we're taking up our studies at verse number 19 here 
and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem. And you know, as I came to prepare this word, it struck me very clearly that when someone dies, they are remembered for something. And this man here, Judas, was remembered. And then I, I thought back and in an earlier study, we called attention to some of the great men of faith across the Old Testament. We, we saw Abraham, we saw Isaac and Jacob and David, and we saw that these men of faith, the best of men, had great weakness in their lives and fell into a terrible sin. Abraham said that his wife was his sister. Isaac did the same thing. And Jacob was deceiving even to his father, pretending to be his brother. And David went and not only committed adultery but then had the innocent husband killed in a battle. But these men fell into sin. These were the best of men as it were. Men of great faith. But thinking just of Jacob tonight, just briefly. Jacob, back in Genesis chapter 48. Jacob, a man who had had so much guile in him and the way he'd done things and he'd run into so many problems he'd have to flee from the family home lest his brother would kill him Jacob who deceived so much and yet who was taken in by Laban in the matter of having his wife and getting his sister instead, so to speak. Jacob, as he comes to the end of his life here in Genesis chapter 48, and we see there at verse 3, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at laws in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. You know, when Jacob came to the end of his life, he didn't look back and see what he tried to do in his own strength he looked back and saw that whatever he had had come because God Almighty had appeared unto him and had blessed him you see Jacob had gone astray but Jacob finished the race as a man of faith giving the glory unto God looking over there at verse 21 Genesis 48 verse 21 and Israel said unto Joseph behold I die but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers and then Throughout chapter 49, Jacob 
speaks to each of the sons with amazing words of prophecy. And this is how Jacob, Israel, ended his days. And this really is how Jacob would be demanded. But that is in complete contrast to Judas. Judas had walked with the Lord Jesus throughout his ministry, or certainly the most of it. He had seemed to be a disciple. He'd done all the same things that the other disciples had done. He'd been that trusted disciple who had the bag, who looked after the money, bought things that were necessary, perhaps handled giving to those in need. But Judas's legacy would be only his act of betrayal. and the manner of his death. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem. What he had done, how he had died, and what had happened with this field, bought with the money, the blood money, this became infamous amongst all the populace. And it's what, as I say, is remembered for evil to this day. That is his legacy. And the question for us, essentially, what would our legacy be? What would your legacy be? Are you living so as to be missed? Are you living so as to leave behind a good legacy, a legacy for good. This is something that we need to constantly reflect upon. We turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. And the 23rd verse. First Corinthians 9 verse 23 And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. If every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, we are in a race, as it were, we are to seek 
but to persevere in serving the Lord and in well doing. We are to labour uh, to make our calling and election sure. We always have to bear in mind this responsibility on our part. So let us seek in our lives uh, to follow Jacob's example at the end of his days. Uh, to follow what the Apostle Paul was teaching here. That we are to leave a good legacy having run the race to obtain the prize. In so much as that field is called in their proper tongue a Keldenite. This, this word here is called in their proper tongue. That's a word of explanation that is put in by Luke as he's writing this. Obviously Peter didn't need to say that in his speech, the people already knew what it was called by themselves. I called them out, that is to say, the field of blood. You see, this field was bought by the blood money, the blood money that Judas had received and cast back into the treasury, as we saw last time. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms. You see, Peter has a problem in mind. But Peter is thinking biblically. And that's always important. Whatever happens. Whatever problem is to be faced. We should be thinking biblically. Peter here, for it is written. And when we have something that is written in the scriptures, it is a certain word. Perhaps our understanding isn't as clear as it should be. Perhaps we don't understand the situation fully. But if we have God's word, if we seek the Lord's understanding, we have assurance of what God's will is. For it is written in the book of Psalms. At this time when Peter was speaking, <coughs> there was such a thing as the book of Psalms. It's important to notice. This was a recognized collection of writings and in use as part of God's word. We saw earlier in verse 16 which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. Peter had that full assurance that it was God's word. Let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. Let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein. Are words that are taken from Psalm 69. And the latter part of that verse is taken from Psalm 109. 
Now, these particular psalms do require a little attention from us tonight. So if we just turn over, please, to Psalm 69. Now, these psalms are prime examples of what are often called imprecatory psalms and as such they're subject to some controversy has to be said this great argument and difference of opinion over this type of psalm is a number of psalms where judgment is called down upon the enemy as I say, that causes controversy. How can it be in the inspired scriptures that we read such words calling down judgment and terrible judgments upon the enemy? But even if it's accepted that they're suitable for the Old Testament, surely they're totally contrary to everything in the New Testament. Everything of a Christian nature. Well, we've got to be careful here. And whilst trying not to dwell too long upon it, I think it is worth noting. Looking here at Psalm 69. Save me, at verse 1 there, save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no stirring. <coughs> And, and you see, as this psalm begins, it, it is a psalm of prayer. It is a psalm dwelling upon the troubles. And it reminds us somewhat of other scriptures. Save me, O God. Reminds us a little of those people before the cross who said he saved others, himself he cannot save. Verse 2, I sink in deep mire. That reminds us of some of the words in Jeremiah. This is an experience that some of the Lord's people have endured. But it's an experience that the Lord Jesus seems to have preeminently endured. Verse 3, I am weary of my crying. Doesn't that remind us of the Lord Jesus in the garden when he prayed and his sweat was as great drops of blood and he was in an agony in prayer? These do. They hate me without a cause. And who was that true of? But the Lord Himself. Oh, it is true in a lesser extent with King David, but preeminently of the Lord Jesus. But you see, there's this great emphasis of prayer. In the first section, 
of the psalm. And it's the same in Psalm 109. Psalm 109, the first verse. Hold not thy peace, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compass me about all with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my Lord, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. Or, or literally, I am prayer. Fully taken up with prayer. And this is the, the spirit in which both of these psalms are. But the psalms move on. And we see, if we go down as far as Psalm 69, as verse 22. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Ah, but what does verse 21 say? They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You see, was that not of the Lord's experience? But let their table become a snare before them. Isn't that what they sue? Aren't they merely going to reap what they've sown? Isn't this the principle? Underlying true justice. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, please. And the 19th verse. Reading there from verse 18. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall he do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put away the evil from among you. And then Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. And we see here in this passage, which is part of the Song of Moses, at the end of Moses' life, just before Moses' death. And this word here that he brings, looking back at verses 19 and 20, we see that it was the Lord that spake these words. So verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them, 
make haste. And this principle is exactly the principle that we see in Romans. Chapter 12 and at verse 17. Romans 12 verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, in these psalms here, the principle is not that the psalmist is going out personally to take revenge. Remember, David was terrorized by Saul out of jealousy. The king Saul wanted to kill David. But David had two opportunities to have killed King Saul and refused to do so. He did not take personal revenge. That was not the spirit uh, that David had. And that is not the spirit that the psalm is written in. You see, in this psalm, in these imprecatory psalms, they are written in a spirit of prayer, and judgment is handed over unto the Lord. And it's done so on scriptural principle. We have to be careful. There's so many get into deep waters and seek to reject these psalms. The Lord Jesus in his ministry <coughs> had terrible warnings of judgment upon those who rejected his ministry. You see, I think a chap by the name of Mackenzie who sums it up. It's not uh, that these psalms have too low a degree of perfection, but are too lofty for us to imitate without danger. And I think if we have that principle in mind, we won't go astray with these psalms. They express biblical truth. They express holy judgment uh, from God. Now, looking at these particular words we have regarding Judas it's it's not a, a great importance in some respects whether the Psalms 
whether the psalmist, whether David, is here a type of Christ, or whether this is a messianic prophecy. That's not the place to debate the issue. But, We notice there in verse 25 of Psalm 69 Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. This is the punishment deserved by the enemy. The enemy of the Lord's anointed. And who could be considered the greatest Betrayer, but Judas. And if this was true of the enemies that David came across in his experience, those who opposed the Lord's anointed, how much more so is it true of Judas? And this fear, this inheritance uh, that Judas had left with this money would be a desolate field. Would not be a place of habitation. And the second phrase here, and his bishopric let another take from Psalm 109 and the 8th verse. Let his days be few and let another take his office. This word bishopric can cause a bit of confusion. It simply means office. The word is episcopan in the Greek. As I say, it, it merely means office one who had a position of responsibility, a position of oversight. You think of somebody who was perhaps the head of the army, the, the head of the civil service, that sort of thing. They hold office. Lower people can hold office too. And that's where David ran into problems. When Absalom rebelled, some in positions of trust rebelled too and this was the situation with Judas Judas had an office had a position that the Lord had called him to a position of responsibility and trust he was one of the twelve and they had the back now this word translated here bishop brick we also see as possibly oversight sometimes it's the same position indeed as elder but it simply means office and his office will let another attack you see that's the principle if somebody abandons their office, 
if somebody rebels and therefore loses their office, they should be replaced. And that was the position with King David. And that is the position preeminently with Judas. He didn't lose his office by dying or by killing himself. He lost his office by betraying, abandoning it by apostasy. And that is the basis in which his office became vacant and needed uh, to be found and let another take. You see, some today would claim that they have apostles. And they don't mean it in a general sense of messengers. They mean it in the New Testament sense of being as one of the, the eleven that we have here. And they say, oh, that's, it's a continuing office. And the fact that Judas was replaced proves it is. But it does not because Judas lost his office through apostasy. Judas lost his office by proving he was not what he claimed to be. By abandoning it. And that was the only reason he was to be replaced. Now Peter moves on, we read verse 21. Wherefore, you see, when we find a biblical principle, it has to be applied. Wherefore, because we found scriptural truth, it has to be put into action. Wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time. You see, it wasn't just to be somebody who had been casually along some of the time. It wasn't to be somebody who was there, here and now, and then and again. They had to accompany with them all the time that the Lord Jesus went to the night among us. The Lord Jesus' presence was the key. The Lord Jesus, his presence was what was vital. It was all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out. That has the idea of constantly and habitually and that's what the Lord Jesus did during his ministry. It was not something that he treated lightly. During his ministry, 
it was his full-time consideration of teaching and ministering to the needy. Speaking to the disciples in private, speaking to the crowds in public, constantly trying to, well indeed, constantly leading them, constantly teaching them, answering their questions. Day by day, hour by hour, it was constant and habitual, in and out among us. And there's something extra in this term among us. It has the idea of upon us, showing his superiority to them. Among us makes more sense to us in English. But it shows something, even here, that he was above them. That he had been teaching and leading and guiding them whilst he was with them. Verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John. Which of the Gospels best fits this criteria? Well, of course, it's the Gospel of Mark. It covers the period covered in this verse. Beginning from the baptism of John. Not when John began his baptism, but, but going back to the time of John's baptism, which was when the Lord Jesus began his public ministry. And when he began to call the disciples and then began to hear his word and to follow him. Beginning from the baptism of John. John who had been the forerunner. John who had been calling to repentance. John who had been uh, denouncing those who thought themselves great but were hypocrites bring forth fruits meat for repentance. On to that same day that he was taken up from us at the time of his resurrection. These were the qualifications here for any who could replace Judas. Onto that same day that he was taken up from us. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now you see, to be a witness of his resurrection there could be no doubt but that the person had to have been a witness of the Lord Jesus in his life. And so we see in 1 John chapter 1 and the first verse one John 1 verse 1 That which was from the beginning which we have heard 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That was their experience of the gospel. They heard, but then they saw the Lord Jesus. And later, well, they could touch the Lord Jesus. They knew him intimately. They knew him personally. They knew that he was real. Not to put too fine a point on it. They could be witnesses of his resurrection. <coughs> Must one be ordained? One must be set apart. To be a witness with us. Of his resurrection. And this was. The primary work. Of the apostles. To the nation. Of Israel. We see. Acts chapter 2, the 24th verse there, in Peter's preaching. Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined counsel of fallen of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it whom God has raised up you see they had rejected the Lord Jesus they had crucified the Lord Jesus and they had seen uh, that a guard was placed upon the tomb the tomb that was sealed but Jesus rose again in mighty triumph. And he appeared unto his disciples. Now, this was a key part of their early message. Proving their guilt. Proving Proving the guilt of the nation, of the people who had rejected. Proving that the Lord Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the one that was prophesied to come. And what a wonderful message of witness they had. And how powerfully they were able to bring this message. Because they were such intimate acquaintances of the Lord Jesus. Because they had studied with him. Because they had learned from him. Because they had this intimate communion. Before and after his resurrection. And you know, 
We are called upon to be witnesses. We have the words of the Lord's apostles, of those disciples. We have God's word of truth. We are to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus using God's word of truth. And we are to bring the gospel message, the only good news, the only hope for our day and age. We have a risen Saviour, one who died paid a penalty that sinners could be reconciled to a holy God. He is risen. He is coming again. He will receive his own unto himself. But yes, it is also that justice, that judgment, that punishment, of those who have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Holy God is a just God. The Holy God is a gracious God. And we have this gospel message today. And we have a duty to bring this gospel message to the world, to those around us. You see, as we look back over our study tonight, we have to run the race for the prize at the end to end our days like Jacob did not like Judas we have to think biblically apply biblical principles and to do that we have to know God's word we have to have it ready at hand be ready to give an answer we can only do that we have God's word ready at hand in our minds. And that means thinking about it during the good times. When we have plenty of time to dwell upon it. We have to spend time with the Lord. Becoming intimate with Him. If we are to be witnesses for Him. So, we must think biblically. We must witness uh, for Jesus Christ. And that's what our world today needs. In so many ways, things have become darker and darker and darker because the professing church believers seem to be. We have departed 
are from God's way. It's very easy to fill the church if you'll make the church like the world. But we're not called upon to do that. We're called upon to think biblically. We're called upon to run the race faithfully. And then we can witness wisely. And we can leave the results up to God. We're called upon to sow the seed. We're called upon to water the seed. Paul may plant, Paul may water, but it is God that giveth the increase. And you know what? The Lord Jesus rose in mighty triumph from the dead. We serve a little Saviour. Victory is His. Let us take His word forth with confidence. We are on the winning side. He will come again. He will judge. There is punishment those outside of Christ very sober Amen Let us pray Our Father, we do pray now that you will bless thy word. Move powerfully on our hearts. Take away the dross, the chaff. But bless the good seed, we pray. That we might indeed have thy word hid in our hearts that we might run our race faithfully think biblically and witness powerfully in Christ Jesus' name